and welcome to episode 15 of the Insiders on Real Estate and Marketing. I'm your host, Sandy Hibbert, and this is my co-host, Mr. Mark Miller. Hey, girl. President of Secured Title of Texas. How you doing? I'm doing great. Super, me too. Um, I'm really excited about our show today. We have a subject that's all too familiar to many of us, and that is real estate and divorce. And Mark and I, along with our guests, are going to do a deep dive into the things surrounding selling a house during or after a divorce, some of the confusion that comes up, the myths, and the problems. And to set it all straight for us are our guests, Rebecca Armstrong of Armstrong Divorce and Law, Mr. Jeremy Radcliffe. Yes. <laughs> He's senior mortgage banker over at SWBC Corp. And of course, our resident counselor, Carrie Friesock who's the general counselor for Mark and the team over at Secured Title of Texas. So uh, a shout out to um, Secured Title of Texas for their sponsorship. They are a local DFW title company that can easily and efficiently close your deal, residential or commercial. So be sure to reach out to them. Um, if you've missed any of our shows, you can see all of them on our homepage on the website at theinsiderspodcast.com. Well, Mark, we got a lot to cover on this we do. one, so yeah. why don't you set us up? Let's get going. Well, I, I kind of really picked this subject uh, because I just we run into this constantly in the title insurance side of the business, closing these transactions. Uh, there's so many variations of uh, representation out there. Not all of it is good, yeah. uh, which causes us a problem at the closing table if uh, divorce, divorce decrees are not done properly, if mm -hmm. uh, uh, a deed's not done properly, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a post to that in the financing side of the equation as well. And what do we do after we've gotten through the divorce? We now are wanting to buy a new home. What kind of credit issues? Right. So I just thought I'd pick a couple of my favorite resident experts to help us navigate through this. And Carrie will give some color to our side in terms of what we're looking at documentation-wise awesome. as we get to that finish line. Uh, so uh, Rebecca and I have, uh, and Jeremy are all in a group together called the Dallas Roundtable, but Rebecca and I served on a board together at City House. That's how I got to know oh, her. Cool, cool. Uh, she's one of the outstanding uh, divorce attorneys in the market, family law, whatever those categories. I'll put her in all categories because she's great in all of them. <laughs> Good. And I'm just so uh, pleased to have both of yeah, them I'm here. Yeah, I'm tickled to have you guys here to, too. Thank you. To visit with us today because I think- I you, wish y'all had been around a couple of times for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could have used you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I made it. <laughs> <laughs> we're so, here, right? We're here. So, anyhow, with all that, I'll, I uh, I just want to jump right in and let's start yeah. with uh, Rebecca kind of giving yeah. us some discussion around what's going on out in the system now, the court system. You're still in a Zoom environment. Yeah, we are still in really? Zoom. I, I mean, the, the courts in DFW have done a great job of just making sure that they're continuing to get cases heard and people and clients kind of getting their their cases resolved thankfully so that's not that's not necessarily the case in the state of the rest of the state of texas so mm. you know our our judges in dallas and colin um, and denton have worked really really hard to make sure that you know they have the capability to hear your case and so it's still all by zoom there you go um and you know that seems crazy to me yeah 
Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I'm glad. I think it's, it's definitely safer for families and everybody, but that, that surprises me. Yes, uh. and so there's definitely some advantages. Um, the law firms, like the one that I'm a part of, that you know, we, we've been paperless from day one since we opened the firm. And, you wow. know, we have a lot of young lawyers that are very well trained and experienced in, in electronic evidence and how to present your case electronically and things mm -hmm. like that. And so we were ready to go when it, it, everything switched to Zoom. So, yeah. And COVID's obviously had an impact on your side of the of the practice as well. Yes. We, uh, so you've been, ex so your cases, I'm sure, have lifted. Yes, so I mean, we've, we've seen a significant increase in cases, just people that are, are wanting to get divorced because, you know, um, their, their, their family model changed, right? For, for example, one that we saw a really high increase with is um, folks that are used to traveling for their positions. <laughs> Right, like where they're gone, uh, you know, most of most of the nights and weekends, and then now they're home, and so the family. So seriously, people are getting a divorce because of COVID. Yes. Because they can't. Stand yeah, yes. they're, they're having to be at home with each other. <laughs> that yes. is yeah. unreal. Yep. Yeah, they're used to having their separate their separate yeah. time, their distance, whether it's for traveling for work or just being able to go to the gym yeah. or things like that, and they're not able to have that distance, and so. It's, it, it definitely placed a microscope on some of the things uh, mm -hmm. that were maybe problems in the family or in the couple mm -hmm. that really weren't being addressed. And they were amplified when COVID came and you know quarantine and wow. shelter in place. Yeah. So even with that, there's still the common uh, challenges you face as you go through this process as it relates to real estate because all of that being together is they're all in a home together. Right. So now you're dealing with how we're going to divide mm. the uh, home and how that property rights are going to uh, play about. Tell us, talk a little bit about how you approach that side of it in terms of, uh, of the division of property, the community property, et cetera. Sure. Well, it really just kind of depends on, you know, do the parties have an agreement um, and what that agreement says. And, and, and so just to kind of take a step back, I really talked to my client about what their goals are. So is their goal, um, did they want to stay in the home? Is that, you know, what, what impact is the divorce going to have on them? So what kind of assets are they gonna be awarded as part of the divorce so that we can find out, is that a smart financial decision for them? Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes we're having them talk to like a financial advisor or someone else that can kind of tell them, is that a smart budgetary decision for them, a smart financial decision for them? But if it is, and that's something that they want, and we have an agreement or we're seeking the, the, the judge or the court to award that to our client, um, it, it really, it, if, if it's, they're awarded 100% of the house and they're awarded 100% of the house in the divorce decree, and you mentioned title issues, you know, we would have their spouse sign over a special warranty deed conveying that property to them, and so that's how that would work. Um, so it's just one of many options that you know we can have as part as the as part of the division of the assets. Right. Okay. Is that all in the divorce decree? I mean, if someone, if a couple's fighting and they can't come to a resolution, is the 50-50 split always going to work here in Texas on community property? I mean, how do you get when you get involved in something like that? How does that pan out? So it's a great question. So first, you mentioned the 50-50 split. 
Um, most people think that in the state of Texas, everything is divided 50-50. Mm -hmm. And where they're getting that from is we are what's called a community property state. So everything that's acquired during your marriage is community property. Right. Um, and so, but what our laws also say is that you, there may be reasons for why one spouse should be entitled to more than a 50% 50, 50 share or what we call disproportionate share. Mm -hmm. So there, some of those factors may be disparity in earning. So if we have one spouse that's making, you know, 500,000 a year and the other spouse is a stay-at-home mom, the court can look at those disparity in earnings as to why that spouse should maybe have 60% of the overall community estate. Um, fault in the breakup of the marriage, if there's, so meaning adultery, things like that, the court can consider in awarding the, what they consider the innocent spouse or the injured spouse, mm -hmm. a more than 50% share. So the judge decides that? The judge can decide that if you actually have a trial, but a lot of cases, especially in divorce, we don't actually have a trial. Right. We, we settle, we go to mediation. Okay. Um, but the way that you can reach an appropriate settlement agreement is by making sure that you know what is the judge likely to award in that circumstance or do I have facts and circumstances such as a disparity in our earnings that would warrant me receiving more than a 50% share. Okay. So it really just depends on the facts and circumstances, mm -hmm. depends on the judge and usually if you have two good family lawyers that are on both sides mm -hmm. you can usually reach a, a, a consensus and an agreement and right. not ever have to have trial. So Jeremy, do you ever get pulled in at the, pro well, they're still going through the divorce process and they're trying to make some determinations on that on that footing? As right, we get, a lot, we get a lot of calls, Mark, for people saying, hey, we're in the process of starting uh, divorce proceedings. What What is our, like, what do we do in terms of our mortgage? A lot of times spouses will own a home or multiple properties together. And that's where we're communicating to them, say, okay, we try to catch this as much as we can on the front and explain here's what your options are. Uh, we've got several cases right now where we'll start with an appraisal, figure out what the equity is in on a home. Um, there's specific laws in Texas that, um, Texas equity laws that say if you're gonna try to do a cash out refinance, you have to retain 20% of equity in the home. The good thing about what um, the divorce proceedings or court orders is allows you to go higher on that that what we call loan to value. So you could go over the 80% loan to value and award back to the departing spouse some equity or a payoff or things like that. Mm -hmm. So it does, uh, people get involved with us early on and what we found is if we can kind of help them in that process, we can give them a little bit more clarity or handrails on what, what you can do or can't do. And you're so. gonna be in an evaluation process as well, right? You're gonna be getting an appraisal because you're dealing with assets. Well, yeah. a lot of times yeah. I'll find myself on the receiving line of maybe an attorney on the background who are, who are saying that attorney is directing their client say, hey, get an appraisal, figure out where we sit so we can figure out what, what our options are on the uh, divorce settlement. So, Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then how do you come to the circle where you get into uh, uh, an ulti lien uh, and as part of the uh, settlement, if you will, one spouse leaves but a lien stays in place to the property and then how do you uh, how do you sort of decide that strategically, Rebecca, and then how do you manage that, Jeremy, when they right. come toward uh, the eventuality of refinancing that right. property as well? So that's a great question. So uh, on the ulti lien process, um, it, it's really, if, 
it depends on how what their assets consist of. But if let's say that all they have is a house and that's their largest asset, which that's not you know out of the norm, right? right. Um, or you know they have retirement and house equity and that's it, and they're just wanting to split everything 50-50. Um, so usually someone doesn't have a pile of cash <laughs> to buy their spouse out of that one half of the equity. But the person that's receiving that money doesn't necessarily trust that their spouse, right? They're getting divorced, so they may not trust that their spouse is going to actually pay them that money. An oil lien is a mechanism to, to secure that payment that they're to receive. So let's say there's $100,000 of equity in a house and the wife's to receive 50000 and maybe husband is paying her out over time, or maybe she's doing a cash out, or husband's doing a cash out refinance. We would put all of that, we would detail all of that in, in the divorce decree. So obviously, um, as most of us know, cash now is better than cash over time, unless you're gonna do present value, unless you're gonna put some interest behind it, things like that. Um, but the ulti lien is the mechanism to secure it so that in the event, in my, scenario that I gave you in the event that husband didn't actually pay that money, the wife could then go and foreclose on the interest in the home by having the ulti lien. Mm. So it just secures that, um, secures that interest in that payment from husband to wife. Okay. Mm. The yeah. other thing with the home, with, with an ulti lien, um, when we're dealing with homestead property, the Texas constitution dictates what type of liens can be secured by the, by the homestead. And an ulti lien is one of those liens. So therefore, it can be um, handled as a rate term refi and not be limited by the restrictions of a, of a home equity loan. Correct, and that's what I was mentioning earlier uh, with regards to a lot of times maybe owners won't have 20% equity, which fits into that Texas equity laws. Um, you could go higher on your loan to value, and so it will allow you to pay off in the form of a rate term refinance. You could dip in and go higher. Um, and then it'll, the, the thing is that the, the spouse that's staying in the home still needs to be able to qualify on that mortgage on their own. Yeah. So that's where I think getting uh, all parties involved early on, it has made a big difference for a lot of clients because uh, they can figure out their options as opposed to waiting until that court order is signed or executed. Now the other uh, angst that I you know, often hear about, Rebecca, is you, you get through all that and then the one of whichever spouse ends up leaving the home. You've got the other concern about the other spouse continuing to keep the mortgage current because they're on that deed of trust. What, or what kind of stop gaps do you try to put in play with that, or can you? Yeah. So there's basically only one. Okay. <laughs> well, there's one unless you're going to require them to refinance, right? So if they're required in the court order to refinance and remove the other spouse's name from the mortgage, then they're required to do that in the event that they can't qualify, like Jeremy's referencing, in the event that they can't qualify, usually what I'll write in is to say, in the event that you can't qualify to refinance within 90 days, 120 days, whatever the time period is that we're giving, it used to be a lot shorter, but since everyone's so busy and backed up, we've kind of started to lengthen that, that yeah. um, a little bit recently. And so in, uh, we, we put in there in the event that that spouse that's staying in the home can't refinance within so many days that it can be listed for sale or it shall uh, be listed okay. for sale. So there's a penalty in the event that they can't. Okay. Um, so that's one option. If the spouses will not agree to refinance or we just know that it's absolutely not a possibility and we don't want to sell the house, 
And there's sometimes reasons for doing that, such as, well, we want the kids to remain in this school district and we want you know, the kids to remain in this house and we know that the spouse couldn't qualify on their own for a home or to refinance. We, there's reasons why we sometimes don't do that or make that a requirement. It would be what's called a deed of trust to secure assumption. So we would have the spouse that's living in the home still, but not refinancing, signing, signing a deed of trust to secure assumption, which essentially gives the, the non occupying spouse the ability to come in and foreclose on the spouse that's continuing to live in the house in the event that they are late on the mortgage payment um, and they're able to catch it back up then they can come in and and foreclose one thing i was going to say a long time (laughs) one thing i was going to say on this that i didn't realize until recently is that um, once that court order is in place so let's say the the spouse that's staying in the home stops making payments or ultimately goes into foreclosure. Mm-hmm. If the old spouse's name still is on the, like if they haven't refinanced out or something like that, the, the departing spouse is able to ignore any credit events, any negative credit events after the date of the judge's decree. So oh. you can, so if there, let's say there's a shared car note or something like that, or any way that the one spouse's negative credit could impact another spouse after the date of the decree it's ignored from a mortgage standpoint. So you take that into consideration. Correct, yes. Yeah. And we can we basically just say, hey, the decree if the decree states that the well let me clarify on that. If the decree states that the the debt is now owned by spouse A and if they for whatever reason weren't making payments or were late on payments, we ignore it on our side for spouse B. And so. and court orders as well. Correct, yes ma'am. So then you've got um, another scenario, and that is you finally make it through all that. You've, you've got the divorce. It's fine, sealed, and delivered, and you've got the house under contract. And we as a title company is running some challenges because you've got a, if it's contested, there's 30 days for which they can go back into court. So it provides us a little heartburn because now people are wanting <laughs> to close. We're saying, wait a minute, I'm, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. And we're mm-hmm. saying, well, hold, hold the boat here a minute. We've got another potential 30 days before we can clear the hoop. But we can get through a little bit of window carry when we have an uncontested divorce. Right, or if you've got a, as as Rebecca had alluded to, they agreed to it, and you do a a mediated settlement agreement. It's a contractual, enforceable contractual relationship that I can take to the underwriter and usually get them to um, not require the 30-day. It's so much harder to appeal one of those things. You can, but it's a, a lot tougher. So it makes it where the underwriters are more prone to go ahead and do the the, the refinance before that 30 days runs. Okay. This has to be a sticky ground for realtors. Well, I, I think it's a confusing place for them. Of course, <laughs> I mean, everybody has a servant's heart in our side of the business, and mm-hmm. so they're trying to, to help the client that's mm-hmm. engaged them, mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily have the knowledge about advising them, if exactly. you will, uh, the steps, and, <laughs> and that's really kind of setting an expectation and right. I, if that expectation is not properly mm-hmm. set mm-hmm. all the way to the closing table then i think that's where right. anxieties rise and mm-hmm. people yeah. begin to get really upset with everyone that's trying to provide right because there's no there's not a like a partial divorce you're either married or you're not married and right. until that's actually <laughs> yeah. finalized i mean right. correct from yeah. from a law standpoint it's uh so on on trying to purchase a home or trying to close we just recommend clients, hey, wait till all of this is finalized. Otherwise, 
it's going to get a little bit sticky. So yeah, well, yeah. and a lot of clients think you know you mentioned a mediated settlement agreement. That's when you go to mediation and you reach an agreement and everyone signs off on it, including the lawyers. A lot of clients think, oh well, I'm done. You know, like the deal's done, I'm done. <laughs> but there's the final divorce decree that we the lawyers have to draft from the mediated settlement agreement that then has to be approved by the court and signed off on. So you are not officially divorced. Wow until the judge signs that divorce decree. And so just psychologically, a lot of clients think that they're done. Once that right. deal, once their deal is struck, they think that they're done. Yeah. But that's not true. And I've got one right now that seems like the judge is not wanting to, it's just taking a long time for the judge to sign off. So we're literally all done just waiting for our signatures at this yeah. point. Now, another side of that, Rebecca, is you've got a situation where the house is going to be sold. And so how is that, now you've got, um, each spouse that has friends in the real estate business <laughs> and they're wanting to list with their particular friend right how is that managed through the court system to decide who's going to actually go and list the property and deal with the whole process of selling the home so that's a great question um, if the lawyers can't get their clients to reach a consensus on a realtor so sometimes it'll be husband wants his realtor and wife wants her realtor just like you're saying if there's no other negotiation, right? We try to we try to expand the pie of what can be negotiated and say, okay, well, husband will agree to your your realtor if you agree to something over here. If that's not an option wow. of expanding the pie of like putting instead of it just being one issue, um, and then the lawyer sometimes will say, well, let me offer a realtor. How about I offer three realtors and you pick one? So it's another option. Um, but sometimes if it just, you just really can't reach consensus, then the judge is going to pick and guess who the judge is going to pick for a realtor? Well, the judge is either going to pick a, is or going to order a receiver or pick somebody that they like that's on <laughs> their list there and that's go. one of their, uh, colleagues right. or referral sources. Right. So that's, that's what happens. And then both parties are probably not very happy. Right. Right. Well, so what, what? Because that, because that realtor may not be experienced in either that market in that area at all. or in that price point. That's and right. Now they're being assigned mm -hmm. that responsibility, and they're not going to get the highest and best value. Do you have like a resource pool of experienced realtors in this area that you pull from? You guys have relationships with? Is that something that a realtor could actually pursue a, a niche like this? Yeah, I think uh, seasoned agents have been through this enough. That those that have been doing business in the area are familiar with, they've had lots of clients who've probably gone through the process. And, mm -hmm. You know, there's uh, actually a designation available for divorce mediation or something in that category mm -hmm. uh, through the uh, Texas Association of Realtors. And I'm surprised more people don't seek that designation because I think it's, if nothing else, it provides you a better academic understanding mm -hmm. of that process. That's so, but Rebecca, you probably have, We, you and I talked about it, you've got kind of your go-to, if you've got your- yes three that you, you feel comfortable with and understand how to manage and get the highest values. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, to your point, not just the academic portion of it, of it's really the emotional part, right? Like the emotional and the psychological part um, when a realtor is dealing with parties that are going through a divorce, it's, I don't want to leave this home that our family has lived in for the last 20 years. This is really difficult for me. I didn't want this divorce. So there's so much of the emotional part of it that a realtor that's coming that's in great, yeah. 
to a divorce, whether it's contested or uncontested, there's just a lot of emotion that's going on, um, especially when you're dealing with the sale of the family home in, in a divorce. Not always, but there's it's, it's a lot. And so a, you have to have a really good realtor that's going to be empathetic and going to listen to what that client is conveying and and say, I hear what you're saying. However, we still need to do the walkthrough or we still need to do the inspection. And they sometimes get some resistance. So you have to be very strong. This is not a typical scenario where you have two parties that are necessarily gung-ho about getting the best price. They also may be living in the home still. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're getting resistance because that person doesn't want to move out. So they're refusing to move, uh, uh, go take a walk while for showing or, you know, put the laundry up and the dishes away, you know, and a, a good realtor can, can navigate some of that emotion yeah. and, you know, the, the, the things that are really kind of driving the, the actions of the client instead of butting heads with that person. That's, that's probably the final reality of the divorce right. is over and the home is probably the last bastion that, that signifies we're done. Right. And I've got to move on into a new life. We're both moving into a new life. So. That can right. be horrible. Yeah. So Carrie, real quick on uh, documentation side, when we look at the final divorce decree, what are a couple of key things that you're looking at? Two key sure things. Okay. Me to be sure that there's a special warranty deed you keep seeing spouses that want to just do a quick claim deed, and that's a real monkey wrench into a, a, a title closing. And um, they just need to understand the difference in the two of them. Everybody thinks, well, a quick claim deed, it's, it's so in, inconsequential. And that when you stick that name warranty on there, they think, oh, I'm taking on a lot of responsibility. They don't understand that a special warranty just means that you haven't done anything to change it since you came into title that you haven't told somebody about. It's like, I only made these, I came in the title of this date, and I've done these things to it, and here they are, and I'm giving it to you like, like, like this. It's disclosure is all. Mm -hmm, right, so it really right. doesn't have any additional exposure. There's no need for a quick claim deed. There's no additional risk, but a quick claim deed will sure slow down a, a closing because an underwriter will not accept them at all. Now, the other thing that's real key about this is the legal description because so many of... There's a lot of attorneys that just think that the um, property, address. property address is enough. Yeah. And then you throw into the fact that now they've got these self-serve forms. There's a place in the self-serve form for the legal description, but the first line is the address. People don't know how to get a legal description or they get a partial legal description off of their tax receipt that the that, that CAD gives them. Yeah. These are insufficient. You need to get a good legal description because that's the only way that you're going to be able to get that spouse off of title and have insurable title to where your transaction runs, runs smoothly. That's, and once you get divorced, they don't like, even if you got kids, you know, yeah. it's not a happy time. They're not right. talking to one another. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're, 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 the cooperation level is, is minimal. <laughs> Horrible. So you need to get it at the yeah. front end yeah. while everybody's still trying yeah. to get it behind them. Because the worst once thing it's you done, can possibly say to somebody that comes in or, or is under contract is say, we need to have your ex sign right. this document. Sometimes they're not even here. If you don't have kids, they could be out of state, out of 
the country. Yeah, yeah. They could be God knows where tracking them down right. is a, is a, is a nightmare. This is why a good realtor is so important. Oh, yeah. There's, the whole team is so important yeah, in this scenario. The whole team. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, guys, we got to wrap up. And uh, this is when we get to do our three things, our three takeaways. Mm -hmm. So uh, we'll start with you, man. Uh, cool. Well, uh, my obvious is seek advice mm -hmm. and do that in the front side. But most importantly, you've got to have a qualified family practice attorney that really knows what they're doing. Right. That's why I've got Rebecca, Rebecca. sitting here. Uh, I think you need to understand your credit standing and your credit options to that side and have somebody that's competent. And that's why I've got Jeremy sitting here on that side. So, and then you've got to really make sure that you uh, have the opportunity, hopefully, to pick the right realtor to work with if you've got that choice uh, to that side of it. So, mm -hmm. but all in all, it's a team that has competency and compassion mm. that's going to get it to the finish line. Absolutely. Yep. Rebecca, what are your three takeaways? What do you want our listeners to remember about this subject matter? I think Mark did a great summary. <laughs> he did. He took everyone's okay, I think he took, I think he took a, a lot of them. But, I mean, I, I, I just, again, would emphasize get in with somebody quickly. You know, somebody that knows what they're doing. On the divorce side of things, we're seeing more and more people, even those that have the financial resources to hire an attorney, they're not. And it's because there's these forms that are out there that are great for those that don't own homes, right? right? For people that don't have real property, that don't own retirement, that's what those forms are for. And don't have kids either. Yeah, that's and don't have children. And so, you know, we're we're seeing it on the, and so are you. Um, obviously, we're seeing it on the on where it's already done. The paperwork's already signed, and we're having to undo the mess. And like you pointed out, that is sometimes challenging to do because their spouse, ex-spouse, now has moved on. Mm -hmm. So I, I just get in with somebody that's qualified. Get in with somebody that's good sooner rather than later. Otherwise, you're going to create more headaches later on. Okay. Thank you. Jeremy? Yeah, I think the thing that sticks out is there's no partial divorce, so you're not almost <laughs> I divorced. love that in your notes. Um, <laughs> divorce you really, divorce. Well, and I've, I've seen that come up because clients will say, well, you know, the they set a contract date for a closing date. And if you're under contract to close on a home, but you're still waiting on that judge's signature, you're going to be probably very disappointed or frustrated or uh, could potentially, worst case scenario, lose a property as a result. So mm -hmm. we highly encourage people, um, you know, hiring a representative like Rebecca, um, her firm, something that someone can actually walk you through and give you the handrails of what exactly you should or shouldn't do. Um, the thing I appreciate about what Texas law has done is they've set in place, and I think the mortgage industry has tried to allow for a court order really gives uh, both spouses some options and so once you have that in place it, it allows one person to pass equity over to the other spouse and also allows the other person to go and, and you know make another purchase and it gives us all something to work from correct right absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like your instructions right right right, right. yeah that's yep. a good point carrie well once again i think everybody's stolen all the thunder <laughs> <laughs> um, i will say you know just um, once again if you're going to have a sale of the the uh the property bring a title company in as soon as you can it's like everything else it's a it, it's a team effort and the more coordination there is between all of the the the, the, the parties you're going to set reasonable expectations and your closing is going to go go smoother and get you to that point where you can finally move move on start making another life how about you kiddo well for the realtor 
on a marketing standpoint, I'm going to say trust, you know, building trust through your marketing. If you're going to reach out to a realtor that Rebecca brings you a case and you need a realtor, who are you going to reach out to? It's going to be the one who's experienced, right? Mm -hmm. Who has a trusting, um, authentic factor about them. So I think that uh, realtors building trust and building that approachability in your marketing is, is key. And you don't do it once you think you want to get involved in a niche like this. You do it now. You build your business based on trust and authenticity. And second thing, get in the game. Pay attention. Get involved. Be informed. Be educated. If you're going to be in real estate and you're going to especially go after a niche like this, or you're going to be working with higher-end clients or family clients, then you need to be in the game and you need to be uh, aware and informed on all these issues. And and then lastly, I think this is a good niche oh, to no consider doubt. for yeah. your marketing. So uh, realtors, think about that and contact Jeremy, contact Rebecca, contact Mark, and let them know what skills you have and the things that you're working on and honing on so that you can build a business that can help people like this. So, Cool. Guys, it's been great having you. Thank yeah. you so much. Rebecca, Jeremy, Carrie, Mark, have a super month. Ciao, everybody. Bye-bye. Next time. Thank you.